I often talk about, do you control your mind or does your mind control you? And too many times we let our mind control us by other things that are influencers versus what, what our purpose is, what we're try, striving for. It's one small step for man. Lift off. We have Our our Well, I'm super excited for today's Super You podcast. Thanks for joining us. We've got Merrill Hodge joining us today, and it's crazy. I met him in Austin. It's one of those deals where they go, hey, turn to the person next to you and introduce yourself. And I turn, and I'm like, wait, that's Merrill Hodge. That's crazy. Uh, a lot of you might not know this. I grew up in Detroit, so I'm a Lions fan. But my secondary team was the Steelers because I wanted to be a policeman. I saw them playing a Super Bowl against the Rams. I'm like three stars on the helmet, uh, and I equated that with police. So. I was a big Franco Harris fan and then a big fan of yours. So it's just exciting. When I turned and saw you, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So now we've got you on the show. And for those that aren't familiar uh, with you, so he's a former professional football player, sports analyst, and motivational speaker currently. He was drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers in the 1987 NFL draft and played for the Steelers from 87 to 93. And it was all heart. This guy's the best to watch. You got to go watch some tape on this guy. If he needed a yard, he was going to get it no matter what. Then he played for the Chicago Bears in 1994 before retiring. Then a lot of you might know him because after retiring from football, this is crazy, but you're on ESPN for 20 years. You're on NFL Live. You're on SportsCenter. You're on College Football Live. Uh, but overall, you're a respected figure in the world, popular motivational speaker who inspires others and businesses to pursue their goals with determination and hard work. You've written several books, which will unpack in a second, but I wanted to say welcome to the Super U Podcast. Well, Eric, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. When I heard your story when you got on stage, your story intrigued me. I, uh, I became a fan of you, learned about you at Austin at that boot camp, and honored to be with you. No, it's great to have you here. And, you know, I've found this fact that's interesting. This is good trivia. You're the first player in NFL history to score a touchdown in a regular season game played outside the United States, which was played in London in 1992, which is pretty cool, fun fact. But speaking of football, let's start there. Tell us about your journey to becoming a professional football player because it was a different path than a lot um, and it was a lot of hard work. So tell us about that journey of becoming a professional football player. Well, um, I'm going to answer that in a second. You just said something I didn't know. Um, and I actually – the irony of being the first player to score a touchdown outside the U.S., I was the first group of players in the history of the National Football League to go to Europe to tour. And now I want to say I want to say it's around 1990. I did this um, like five players, and the Raiderettes went with us. Okay, and that become that becomes important here in a second. So we go over to London, and we land in London, and we're doing tours everywhere to promote the NFL. Everybody has their jerseys on. So if in the NFL or in the in the, in the U.S., if you got off in any city and you had a bunch of jerseys and current players, I mean, people would be recognizing those people, players. Yep. I mean, be, people would want to get in line to get autographs from well we did autographs signings we got off the bus nobody paid us attention until the raiderettes came <laughs> off when the raiderettes came off 
Well, then they, 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 they got attention. Like their line was a mile long and they would just come over to our line after they were done at their lines. So that's how it was. That's how we launched the league, the NFL in London. It was around 1990. I went over with the group. I went over with a guy named Pete Abitante who ran the PR department for the NFL and ironically, Roger Goodell. Roger Goodell was still working oh, the um, on the mail room up. Like he, okay. that's where the position that he was at that time. So that's I, interesting you, you say that because I was one of the first group of players to do it. Nonetheless, um, I didn't know that. So that was interesting. Um, now to answer your uh, question on when you come from Pocatello, Idaho, well, you mentioned how you're a Steeler fan. Yep. Well, I, I became a Steeler fan to largely do because now, this is around 1970s, you know, when the Steelers are winning the Super Bowl. And I don't think people that weren't born then, um, you have to paint a picture of 1970, we'll say 73, 74, 75. Not everybody had televisions, mm-hmm. you know. And and if you had a television, it was a box about yay big with an antenna. You had two knobs and only three channels. And there was no remotes back in the day. And so whatever channel you put it on, you had to make sure you were good with that. Because by the time you got on the couch, if it went bad, you had to get up and change it. Unless your parents walked in, then you are the remote. <laughs> right. So in, on Sundays, our, our, we had a rule in our family. Uh, our parents didn't like television on on Sunday. And so I never saw football on television until one day I went to my grandparents' house because they always had their television on. And um, I walked in and I saw the, it was the first time I was eight years old. And I, uh, I walked in and there it was. I, I'd never seen football on television. But it was the Green Bay Packers were playing, ironically. I don't remember who they were playing. And that wasn't the big deal. It was like, that's what hooked me. I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, I want to play in the National Football League. And from that day on, I I, I talk about um, self-reflection. You know, we all have to make commitments. There's moments of truth we all have in life. And, and we got to make decisions or of what we're going to do. I committed that day that I was going to play in the NFL no matter what. I was going to do everything I could to get there. And that's where find a way, you know, these, these words right. here, they kind of transform me at that time. These words inspire action. They inspire energy. They spark a responsibility that we all have, quite honestly, that we're all in charge of our journey. Um, too many people surrender that. I often talk about, do you control your mind or does your mind control you? And too many times we let our mind control us by other things that are influencers Versus what, what our purpose is, what we're try, striving for. And these words set me on a journey, but they are pivotal in helping me live a dream. Um, and so. Because people are saying, to- they go, why don't you pick an easier dream? You're a kid from Idaho. How are you going to make the National Football League? And then you scroll, you just write down, find a way. I got to find well, a way. You might not know this, but Diana Nyad, who swam from Cuba to Miami, yeah, she must have read your book because she uses that when she's swimming the sixty hours. She's like, "I got to find a way, find a way, find a way." So that's amazing uh, to come from Idaho and then to be drafted by the Steelers. That's incredible. Well, Erica, you know that that actually, I don't think there's probably anybody that you've done it. I, I've done it my entire life, and people do it every. They do it more than they probably think. So, is they that word? Those words come out of everybody's mouth. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're usually around circumstances that there's uncertainty or there's a little confusion or there's the unknown. So you go, gosh, they got to find our way to do this. You know, how are we going to do that? And that's, see, to me, that's where everybody is at at some point in their life. And so how do you go from there to finding your way? You know, that that's where the, the pivot, that's where I get, you control your mind. Does your mind control you? 
Because now once you've started that action process, well, you now are in charge, okay? How you, what you program here, what you feed this, what it visually sees is powerful. You know, it's the same if you're going to feed it negative stuff. Don't be shocked if yeah. the ne- negative results happen. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost that simple yet that powerful. And I think why it's so simple for people just to surrender to the things they've heard. Oh, it's hard. The odds, man. Nah, don't put our eggs in basketball. We wouldn't be disappointed one day, would we? Versus, you know what? I'm gonna beat those odds, and whatever works required, I'm gonna do it. Um, that commitment to oneself, um, and that empowerment. I, I got this quote I always use. Um, it actually. I say, I'm a product of a lot of people. People have challenged me. People have inspired me. But I find hope in people. And some of the first hope I ever found was in Aristotle. Um, don't have, I'm not going to bore you with how I come across it because it was an accident. But I didn't know who Aristotle was. But I read a quote that ends up being the foundation of my journey. And it's, we are what we repeatedly do. Then excellence isn't an act but a habit. And I was a kid when I read that. And what moved me by that, when you read that, that's a powerful statement. You are what you repeatedly yep. do. Now, that, that, so everybody should take that and go, okay, that means I'll make myself anything I want. Yep. That's really what that said to me. I'm going to make myself anything I want and choose to based on patterns and habits I control. I'm in charge. Um, and I did that from that day on, you know, it sent me on a journey. And those words still resonate with me today. I think about them often. I'm in charge of that. We're all in charge of that and responsible for it. And it can lead you to amazing things. Um, it takes you on a journey and gives you a life of no regrets, which is a powerful thing. No, it is powerful. And obviously, no surprise, you're a two-time academic All-American at Idaho State University when you're quoting Aristotle. But <laughs> so you transition. A lot of our folks that listen, they're, they're transitioning their career. They're transitioning. Maybe they're having their first baby, but there's a big transitional moment you retire from the Bears. You've got to transition. You transition into the broadcast booth. How'd you do that successfully? Because it's not easy to do. Well, I think that's the first thing you have to establish. It's not easy. But here's how you can you can help it become a little easier. You know, I had a great one of the greatest leaders, greatest man I ever met, I ever was around was Chuck Knoll. And he's one of the greatest of all. He's probably he's the only coach in NFL history to win four Super Bowls in five years and never lose one. Nobody will ever do that again. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Nobody will ever do that again um, to embark on a Super Bowl like that and, and, and to do what he's done. But he was a great leader of life. That's what I was grateful for. Listen, I think anybody who's been 21 years old will appreciate this. You know, when you're 21, you think you know everything. You know, you think, well, I'm so smart. And I'll never learn anything. At least I was smart enough at 21 when I sat down for my first meeting and I heard him talk. I'm like, I better pay attention every day I sit down and listen to this guy. I'm almost everything Chuck Knoll embodied about. He's talking about your life's work. It's not football. It's something else. Work on that. When you're in the offseason, he goes, you got a platform. Most people will never have. And I never hear him saying, use it, don't abuse it. Mm-hmm. That means work on different things that you might want to do after you're done with football. If you're not done with school, go get your school done. Um, if you're thinking about doing other things, you know, reach out, talk to people in those fields, learn about those fields, but get yourself rooted in something else that you want to go into. So I accidentally fell into broadcasting. I, I didn't, I would never have thought broadcasting when I was in college, when they asked me what I wanted to do, I didn't mention broadcasting. Okay. I didn't even think that was an option. I would never have thought of broadcasting. 
And I'm not going to bore you with that story, but I got, I fell into that on accident, but I worked on that my entire career. Like I met with everybody that I would come in and do a game. I would talk to producers. I would talk to the talent. I would talk to the network. And when I went to the Chicago Bears, part of that contract was I was part of the CBS post-game show and pregame show. And my favorite player was Walter Payton. I did a two-hour radio show at his restaurant on a Monday night. So I was doing all these things. So that helped the one transition aspect. Um, and that helped me give me tools when I was at ESPN. I mean, I get the rug cut out from under me at ESPN, too. I was there 21 years, and they had a bean counting session. And I never heard what that was, but I remember my boss said, he goes, Disney has given us orders to get rid of people. Right. And and he said, the people that are in greatest jeopardy are the people who have the longest contract. Yep. For 40 some years, I have lived on a three-year contract from football to my ESPN for 40 years, nearly. Um, I had just signed a five-year deal. I never had a five-year deal in my entire life. And I, and John, Ron Jaworski and I signed it almost the exact same month. And that's what ended up getting us let go is that our contract was a negative because they moved it over to another column and they got a credit for it, even though they have to pay for it. Right. Which is bizarre. Yeah. And so anyway, so we get shifted. But what I had always learned is, and I talked to a lot of people who were in that industry, you know, you can't trust you know, big businesses. This is way before this happened. This is when I first got ESPN. I'm like, I never put my name. I never had Merrill Hodge at ESPN.com. I never put that on an email. I never put it in a thing. I go because it's, ESPN is not who I am. Um, I loved it. I love the platform and it did so many things for me. But I, I got I got challenged to, to write a book and to speak when I was sitting in a chemotherapy chair. Yeah. And that day is when I had a bunch of things circling around my head. First of all, I was just trying to live. Okay, that was the first thing. And I didn't know if that was going to happen at this mm -hmm. moment. A, a buddy of mine hired a film crew and he video, video, videoed this entire day for this reason. I thought I was documenting things that my kids would have down the future if I didn't make it. And that's how I was thinking. And then it started making me think, too, about like, you know, boy, curveballs can come at the least expected time and nobody's immune to that. Okay. And we don't get to see those. I used my, my, my son who was five, I was trying to get him to wear a seatbelt. And I'm like, son, you got you, you can never predict an accident. And he would say, I'll see it. Uh, he was one to, he told me he was smart enough to put the seatbelt on when, he, when he'll see the accident, right? He's five. Right. I'm like, right. try to explain to a five-year-old that you can't do that, Bo. You got to prepare yourself. <laughs> anyway, but all of these things are coming to my head as I'm sitting in that chair and he's asking me all those questions. Um, that's when he, I first told him about find a way how that came about. So he challenged me to write a book, but it made me really think, um, self-reflect again. I, I'm a, I'm a big proponent at that. That's how we grow and evolve. And I'm like, you know, ESPN could end too. And yeah. you know, I'm like, what else, you know, do I love doing on um, what I want to do? Um, well, that challenge took me into the speaking world. Mm -hmm. um, which I would never have dreamed that either. Somebody yeah. said you're in high school or college, but you want to be a speaker. I'm like, uh, no, I don't like speaking in front of people. Uh, no, thank you. And so listen, you, most people are going to have a job that they can retire in, but there's nothing wrong with looking outside that scope and other things that interest you, that you love. I always like start, start with the things you love yep. that you're going to do for free that you get up every day and go, Oh my gosh. Cause I don't see, I have three things that I, I love doing. I've never felt like I got to get up 
And as a kid, I worked on a ranch and a farm. I got up at five o'clock in the morning. I was filled at six. I didn't get done till 10. And I did that all summer long. I never had, I mean, I had a man's job from age 12 to 18. So I know what laboring is like. I know what working is like. I know, um, shoot, all the way to, I got drafted quite honestly because I were used to work for Exxon um, Mobil and we had um, six 10 hour days. I mean, so I know yeah. about those laboring stuff. So I also know about finding things that are you're passionate about that you would do. And can you make a living doing that? Um, and that's what really kind of got me into speaking, quite honestly, is I started to think outside the box. Um, I ended up writing the book, Find a Way, the first edition. And then it took me into speaking. And I, I don't think if I had been sitting in a chemotherapy chair and being forced to look at my life a little different, and I'm not saying you got to be in a chemotherapy chair. That's what I'm saying. Just try not to let that drive you there. Right. Just at times, it's okay to look outside the box. What else would I like to do? Challenge yourself. What do I really love? And and you, you don't want to live with the regrets. You know, you don't want to get that at 70 go, God, why didn't I just try it? Yeah. You know, and, and, and so that's what got me thinking that. And that's so when ESPN let me go, actually – there was a train. I was, I was nannying for my daughter in um, Savannah, Georgia. And I was with my little granddaughter who was about nine months old. And I remember when my boss called me, he was, Seth called me and he was apologizing for having to let me go. And then he started talking about how great I, and I said, Seth, let me ask this, is this going to change anything? Like, are you going to rehire me? He's right. like, no, I go, then, then it's okay. You can go. You got other calls to make. I'm good. Now I hang up the phone and there's the reality. Okay. My life has just changed. Yeah. I'm not going to go to ESPN where I'm going for 21 years and do those things. But honestly, it took me about five minutes to refocus, look at my granddaughter and like, you know what? I'm going on to something else that I've been working on in a way. So I'm going to make that my passion now yeah. and go after that. Find a way it keeps revisiting you throughout your journey. Walk us through the diagnosis of cancer. Like what was the mindset when you got that diagnosis? What was your mindset? How did, how'd you deal with it? Well, Eric, I'll tell you what the call was. I actually, I was trying to run away from it. Okay. Um, they had anticipated that I might have a malignant tumor in my lower back. They did a biopsy. Now, they didn't know the size and shape or the cell type. They didn't know none of that. That's why they did the biopsy. And so I was in Cincinnati at the time, but my cabin was in Idaho and I'd had a trip planned to go there. So I decide I'm going on the trip. And I'm thinking if I go on the trip, then I'm going to leave this what's what could be haunting me won't won't haunt me and i got to my cabin uh the day the doctor called me on valentine's day actually february 4th 2003 um, oh my gosh then he said merrill unfortunately um the tumor's malignant and he said it's actually ironically it's the size and shape of a football it's about three pounds he said and he said um you're no longer gonna feel like working out and, and training because i was i'm active doing that i was playing in a basketball league he said because you know you got to go through brutal chemotherapy. He goes, you're going to be sick and you're going to be tired. He said anywhere from 14 to 17 days after your first treatment, he goes, you might, you're going to start losing your hair. So you might want to think about shaving your head. And then the thing he said last, that probably painted the picture of death more than anything. He said, I just, I hate to say it, but I can't guarantee what we're going to do is going to work. And when he hung up the phone, um, two things consume me, if not overwhelm me. And that was his chemotherapy and dying. And I call it the dark days of diagnosis. I thought that wasn't the worst day. Honestly, that was one of the worst days of many to come. That's why I call it the dark days of diagnosis. Shoot, I had to go through almost 10 days of 
all these um, tests and evaluations just to see if I could withstand what I was about to go through, meaning survive it. Wow. And I know I'm going through that process and learning the brutality of what you're about to go through. It was just, I'm telling you, it's like, it's so overwhelming. It is still artic- hard to articulate those days. Um, and I lost my mom when I was a young kid. So I understand the sting of death. I understand how losing a parent can wreck a home, um, can change lives. My, uh, and I had kids. And so it, it just really, I never wanted to leave in that situation. You know, it, it just, it was, it was a level that I'm telling you was almost overbearing at the, at the beginning. But the thing that actually shifted that whole thing was my daughter. Um, I, I thought it was important for them. My kids are not used to me being sick and fat and laying on a couch and bald. <laughs> they just, and that's not what they're used to. Yeah. And I'm like, and that, that's the vision they gave me, you know? So I was like, I better let them know changes are going to take place. And then I went back to that overwhelming con. I mean, I, just overwhelming thought process of chemotherapy and dying. And it was my daughter who come across the, uh, the room and I was so absorbed in this death and dying that. I didn't realize she got in my lap and she's trying to really get my attention. And once I did look at her, she goes, well, then you know what, dad, you need to find a way. Wow. And I had been using this parent. I find a way is a parenting tool for me. Like my kids come to my office. They want to do something. I'm like, okay, Bo or Corey, let's find a way. How, what do you yeah. think? So I, I get them thinking, cause I don't want, this is not my job that you came to me with something. So what do you, and actually I had learned a lot of things, how kids think. Which yeah. I really, I loved that experience, and um, and then it was, then it was a journey together. But they're responsible for that. I, I, I can tell you what I think, but I want to hear what you think first. And I bridged the line of communication with that tool, but to get it reversed was the perfect person because these words again, they they shifted my mindset. They, they my mind was controlling me as I just described. Right. I mean, and, and, and in a way, rightfully so. But she shifted that. Now I controlled my mind. Went to my office, ripped all my goals down, put one thing up. I would destroy non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It would sit there for about two years. Um, and I'd look at it every single day to keep me focused. Man. And then now looking at you, those that are just listening, this guy is in phenomenal shape. I mean, how do you stay in, how do you stay in such good shape? What's the secret? You know what, Eric? I, I, I tell people all the time, one of my messages is the most important person on planet Earth is you. Okay. If you don't take care of you, if you don't invest you, and that doesn't mean you take seven days a week, 24 hours a day to you. I'm not saying absorption, but you got to take care of you and the better shape you're in mentally and physically, just the more productive you're going to be in your own world, but that's more beneficial to your family. Um, And so I started this, you know, when I had kids, I mean, I was investing in my kids. I mean, I love being a dad. If you have kids, I believe it's the greatest leadership role you will ever, ever have. And I don't care what company you run. It's the greatest thing ever. And we need, and and I I wish parents would invest more in our kids because just the value in it, the results are critical. And that's what moved me, honestly, more than anything is that, you know, having my, having kids and that, that my parenting tool at all there, how my kids have been instrumental in, in my journey, um, I've been with that. Had my daughter not done that on that day, Eric, I don't know where I go. You know, I really don't. I don't know where I wander, you know, but I, I was in a dark space, you know, and it doesn't mean the only way you can know, you know, like people just say, don't put your, all, all your eggs in one basket. You wouldn't want to be disappointed. And I start, you know, when, as I got down the road, I was like, gosh, dang it. 
without disappointment, without ever feeling disappointment, well, how can you ever know success? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you would have to know both to know the difference. Right. You know, and, and uh, nobody just runs through life with all, you know, success, 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 you know, experience, you know, that's, that's part of our journey. And that's why I say I'm a individually be strong, collectively we're powerful. Um, you know, listen to how your journey went. You know, I was sitting there going, I'll be interested in what, what, what your story was. And I was like, holy cow, just think about if he had, if he wouldn't have done all those things or taken on a challenge in a way, where are you? You know, and I, and challenges are okay too. People, Chuck Noll challenged me. I mean, without Chuck Noll, I'm telling you, not just the lesson learned, but he challenged me as a human being, not just a human, a football player, but a human being to be better. Yeah, I love that he was and, like, hey, this is beyond football. And then yeah. I love that you're given like your advice on parenthood is that someone once said, it's a great quote, what you do in life might not be your greatest accomplishment. It might be someone you raised. And so that's just spot on. <laughs> Eric, I don't know who quoted that, but I'll tell you this. And listen, I'm a massive success because my two kids, I just got off the phone with this. My son's thinking about going into insurance. And I, I, I tell this right off the bat. I'm like, yeah. I tell my kids, I don't sell you in the manner in which I sell you if you weren't who you were because I would look like a fool. Then the people that I actually have a great relationship with would be like, okay, this is a delusional parent. He has, and I think every parent should love their kids. Don't get me wrong, but you have to understand. I mean, I I was was going to write this book. This is still in the, 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 the thick of my, the title is a parent slash coach has all the power, but no control. Yeah. And where I got that from is really from coaching, you know, like when a player makes a mistake, everybody's like, who, what coach did? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That player is responsible. Once they, once they step inside the, the white lines, all bets are off. When your kids leave the front door of your home, all bets are off. Yeah. You know, you, you still have to do your part, but they have to be accountable when they enter the world that they're entering. And there's going to be challenges there and they got influences there, but what kind of person are they going to ultimately be? And that's going to be on them because they're the ones that have, they have to take the action. They have to do the right thing. Um, they can be told a hundred times, but if they don't do it, then it's irrelevant. So, you know, that's why I'm passionate about it. And, and my kids have done a good job of doing that. And, and, and it's not my credit. I give that credit to them. You did that part. I didn't sit in school and watch you in math class and make you do the right thing. Or when you walk in the hallway, not, you know, bully somebody. I didn't do that. I told you in this house, but I didn't follow you around to do it. So that's that's a credit to you, not me. Yeah. That's so, what Coach Izzo always says that a player-led team, player-coach team is better than a coach-coach team. And so, I mean, you've you've experienced, you've been, been one of those leaders in the locker room. Now, shifting gears a little bit. So this kind of goes into <laughs> lightning round here. So this is these are some quick questions. ESPN, you're there 20 years. What's something behind the scenes that we wouldn't know? Or just a fun story. Stuart Scott was our host on the NFL matchup show between him and Ron Jaworski. Those are some of my dearest friends when I was, and, and even Chris Berman, but yeah. Stuart Scott and I had. Jaws is amazing. Connection. I did an event at, for him in Philadelphia with his sister. It was awesome. Well, yeah. let me tell you this. That's a, the greatest human being of all time. Yeah. I love him. You, so you, I, you are, you got good, good for you to experience him because he yeah. is an uh, amazing human being. Stuart Scott and our kids are about the same age. So what attracted us, well, we became good friends because parenting. Like we would talk about our kids all the time. We 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 drove together back to the airport. We flew back to ESPN together. And we spent a lot of amazing years together. Um, and even a guy like John Saunders, you know, he passed away of yeah. heart attack. Who mm -hmm. 
the relationships that I have with those people um, off air were just so much better than on air. And that's probably the thing about that journey or ESPN that I love. I mean, Chris Berman, if you see Chris Berman on television, it's exactly how he's going to be in person. Yep. If, in fact, if you ever see him and anybody who's ever, whoever sees him, make sure they ask him about me. And he, this is what he'll say. Oh, Myrtle. He'll call me, calls me Myrtle. <laughs> and his brother lives in Sun Valley, Idaho. So we always intercept each other in Utah and Salt Lake's airport for some reason. That's what oh, we always nice. run into in the off season, you know, okay. during the season we're, we're at the, the studios, but I would say it was, it's those kind of things, you know, and yeah. Susie Colbert, you know, yep. is probably the, the queen of football and she started and she's one player she played as a kid. Just yeah, just great backstories and great people that are still friends with and and grateful for that. No, it's great. Would you fly in because Bristol, Connecticut's the middle of nowhere? Would you fly yeah. in and have an apartment there? Do they have like corporate housing or? No, um, I, I tried to never stay there long enough for corporate housing. Okay. <laughs> so actually, most of my work was at NFL Films, which is in New Jersey. So I had actually fly to Philly, drive over to Jersey, tape the matchup show, drive to New York, stay Friday night in New York. And then drive to Bristol from there Saturday morning, do my show Sunday, Monday, and then fly home from okay. Connecticut. Okay. That, that's a typical week, NFL wow. week. Yeah, that's busy. That's busy. Best advice you've been given and by whom? Well, I, I'm going to have to go back to – honestly, I swear to you, I could probably give a, a book on Chuck Knoll. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Just remind one of the, the audience, pieces, Chuck Knoll is the coach of the Pittsburgh yeah. Steelers in the 70s. He won yep. four Super Bowls in five years. So amazing, yep. amazing coach in the Hall of Fame. Uh, one of the Mount Rushmores in the National Football League would be considered one of the greatest five coaches in the history of the game and built our game. Um, he was a great leader, but th- this was Chuck. One of the first times I ever heard him speak, um, he was talking about how how to help back, how to be involved in businesses or people. And he said a piece of something I've never forgot to this day. It applies to everything, charity work, um, the investments. He says, Merrill. Well, he said Merrill. I mean, he's talking to the team when he said this. Yeah. Tie yourself to people that are credible. Mm-hmm. Don't just take people's word that they're doing charity work. Don't take somebody's word that it's a good investment. Tie yourself to people that are credible. Look into things, uncover things, tear things apart before you go investing or you do stuff with people. And it is still true to this day. If you do your due diligence, um, you're going to find out. And if they are good, then tie yourself to them. But if they're not, don't do that and just don't assume they are just because they seem like they're a nice guy or a nice girl, you know, to do your work and you're, and you're, and that, that I have used still to this day. I heard it at age 21. No, it's great advice. And there's the old saying, it's not a saying, it's actually research based that your salary is the average of the five people you surround yourself with. But more importantly, I've done research to uncover that you're the average of the five people you surround yourself with the most from an emotional intelligence standpoint, from an intelligence standpoint for how you manage money. And so spot on, like surround yourself with the right people, both online and, and also more importantly, offline. And, so you just advance that knowledge now. I love it. Yeah. You see what I'm learning from this? I love this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just feeding it. I'm just re- regurgitating it back. But as we wrap things up here, Obviously, very inspirational person. You've done it. You've done the work. I mean, your career's phenomenal. We didn't even get to talk about how you sang the national anthem, that you're a big country fan. So that's that's crazy that you actually went out there and did that at a Pirates baseball game, I believe. But yeah. parting words of advice for our listeners out there. Our listeners tune into the show because they want to unlock and unleash their superpower on the world. And we always say 
It's all about getting that courage to wear the cape. So when you grew up in Idaho, it's having that courage when people are saying, don't don't set your dream for NFL. You're in Idaho. And you just said, nope, that's my dream. I'm going to saw it on TV. I'm going to write, find a way. And you found a way against all odds. So what what advice, parting advice, and also any projects that you're working on that you want to want to talk about as we wrap things up? Well, quickly, I'm working on a, a hospital merge because um, the head health, mental health, the physical and emotional trauma of mental health and head trauma is I'm a passion. I'm passionate mm-hmm. about that. I'm working on this yeah. hospital merger and we're, we're putting on a um, optimum health formula that we hope not will be just in head and health, but for the entire body. Um, that's something I'm passionate about. Um, uh, and on the speaking platform that I've been on is something I'm trying to evolve and grow. Uh, I've never really committed to that. And that's why I went to the boot camp. That's why I'm meeting great people yeah. like you. And, and that's helped me evolve in that. Now to leave your, your people with something, it's actually what I leave when I speak. It's, I, I actually just started out with it, but I end with it too because of the power in it. When, when Aristotle said, you are what you repeatedly do, mm-hmm. you, that is a powerful statement. There's not a soul that shouldn't be going. That's powerful. You are to think of that power in that you are in charge of that. Getting people to realize they're in charge. This tool, greatest tool known to mankind, greatest supercomputer in the world cannot hold more information than this. This is so powerful. How you feed it, though, will matter. So think of it. It's that simple. Feed it good things. Feed it powerful things. Write things down. Like I've been doing this since age 12. If you've never done it, I just encourage you to try it. Find a place you start and end your day. Shoot. It can be the screensaver of your phone or your computer. Write it in a powerful manner. Something you're trying to change, accomplish, a circumstance you're dealing with. And write it in a powerful, I will, and then so forth and so on. Look at it every day. Remind yourself about it every day. Then take the action required to accomplish it or deal with it. Do something. And then a Walter Payton saying that I've used for, for my entire life too. It's every day. Okay. Every not day. just when it's convenient for you, not when it works for you every day, no. that will be what separates you. That will be what ultimately garners you peace because you now reflect in a mirror one day and go, you know what? I did my part. And wherever that leads you have peace with that because you can't ask for anything more. That means you, can, you can't control somebody else, what they did or chose to do to you. Put that away. Ignore that. Did you do your part? That's all you're responsible for. Wherever that takes you, have peace with that. And at the end, he's talking, Eric's still talking about excellence. What is excellence? Excellence to me is when you open yourself up and you're like, I did my part. And wherever that is, that is excellent. Now, you might be the greatest of all time. That's awesome. If you you fall short of that, you're still excellent because you did your part. And I just trying to get people to take charge of that and give them little tools to help them. Um, work on that processing. Um, I, love it. I think helps them, gives them a finer focus on, you know, just the perspective of life versus getting caught up in all the things that they can't control. And so ambiguous to really what going to drive you to peace. I like that. It's every day, do your part. And most importantly, just find a way. That's a great Merrill Hodge. We'll find out more at MerrillHodge.com if you need someone to speak at your event or check out his books. Uh, that we talked about find a way brainwashed on down the line so just t- check out the books uh, such an honor to meet you in person someone that i watched growing up on tv and i turn and there you are it's crazy uh and even a better person a great dad i love your comments about being a great father and so thanks for being an inspiration to all of us and 
That's it for today's Super U Podcast. Again, check out more at MerrillHodge.com. MerrillHodge.com. Go check it out. And uh, thanks again. Thanks for taking time out of your busy schedule. And good luck with the draft. Thanks, Eric. You're the man, brother. All right. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three. Two. One. Super, 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 super. Super U. 